Our scripture reading for today is Psalm 98. This passage is titled, Make a Joyful Noise to the Lord. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make, the, make a joyful noise before the Lord, before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar in all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Well, hey, good morning. Good to be with you. My name is Nate. If I haven't met you yet, um, serve as a pastor here. Um, we've been going this summer through a series on the Apostles' Creed, and as, we were, as I've been preparing this week, um, actually on Monday, July 4th, uh, our family was downtown, um, right down on Lake Mendota, right on the, um, the square there. And, and, this, and one of the things we heard while we were there was uh, we're hanging out, and all of a sudden there's this loud bass that just began to drop. And we heard this cheering. And we saw this, we, we, we looked to the right, and there's this huge party at one of the fraternities right there. And it was just packed. And fireworks were going off. They were making so much noise. I was joking with my kids, like, why didn't I get invited? Um, that's a dad joke, sorry. That didn't work. Um, it never does. But... One of the things that stuck out to me is that actually that celebration is actually not too far different from what this psalm is calling us to do. Psalm 98 is this collective invitation that begins with singing. It actually calls out to make a joyful noise. It it says, grab various instruments, and by the end, creation itself is participating, the seas And the rivers, they're clapping. The psalm is inviting the reader, the listener, to join in the celebration, to join in the party. But what's really intriguing is the crescendo. The final note of the whole psalm is this. Listen to it again. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Psalm 98 is echoing what is all over Scripture and what today we're focusing on in the Apostles' Creed where it's speaking of Jesus. It says this, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Uh, Let me just ask you for a moment. What's your most natural <clears throat> response to that news? Do you want to throw a party? Do you want to have a big celebration? You know, if we're honest, um, 
that statement <clears throat> that Jesus is going to come again to judge the living and the dead, it makes many of us feel uncomfortable. Um, perhaps even for some of us, it's deeply problematic. It might bring up moments in which you yourself have been judged, perhaps unfairly. Or it might also bring a moment where maybe you were around a community that believed in this, and they themselves were incredibly judgmental. And as soon as you see that, you're like, well, if that's what that produces, I don't know if I want anything to do with that. You know, what's interesting is that no matter what we feel today, no matter our experience, Psalm 98 is just one of a plethora of scriptures that are filled and consistent with the theme of final judgment. You know, perhaps there's no other text that kind of hones it in to what it means for us. In the book of Hebrews, the author writes this in chapter 9, this statement. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. It, in other words, according to Scripture, we're going to die and then we're going to face judgment. That's sobering, is it not? But what's interesting about this, going back to Psalm 98, uh, one author noted this, Psalm 98 shows this is not a truth to minimize or even apologize for, but it's somehow good news. In other words, if we understand what's happening here, it should actually get us off of our seats and make us joyful. And here's the rub. How, how is that possible? How is that good news? And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And we're going to look up, we're going to look back, and we're going to look forward. So let me pray, and we'll, we'll get in. Father, um, your word uh, brings us to places where uh, it's uncomfortable. And yet, um, <clears throat> we pray now that we would encounter you <clears throat> as you are, not with our preconceptions or misconceptions, but as you truly are, that, Lord, you might change us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, looking up... Um, I, Listen, one of the reasons why we have a problem with judgment and final judgment was perhaps expressed really well in a book by Robert Bella. It's called Habits of the Heart. And he said this, he said this, 80% of Americans agree with this following statement. He said this, an individual should arrive at his or her own religious belief independent of any church or synagogue. So Robert Bella's Shane, that 80% of Americans would say everybody has a right to kind of figure out what they want to believe. And underneath this is simply this statement here. Basically, you can decide what's right or wrong. And that's one of the problems with this idea and this notion of future judgment, because if it's up to me, then how can someone come in and judge me? And what's interesting about Psalm 98 is there's two things it does that subverts that notion of it's up to you. And the first, we see in verses four to six. Now, look at what it says here. 
Uh, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in a joyous song and praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Now, when Psalm 98 was written, it was written in a context in the ancient Near East. And and in verses 1 to 3, it's showing this particular relationship that God had with Israel. But around Israel were all these nations. And in essence, the, the belief then was they had gods, but they were tribal deities. They were just kind of one God among many. It's almost like if you think of our civic government, it's like Tony Evers, right? He's our governor. He's not the president. He can't tell Minnesota what to do, right? There's a restriction. He can tell Wisconsin what to do, but not Minnesota, right? But Psalm 98, as it's being written, notice what it says in verse 6, that Israel's God is king. He's the Lord, and he's over all. In other words, this, this God is not a tribal deity. This God is the king. But secondly, look at verse 9, what it says about this king, how he judges. In verse 9, it says this, He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. That term righteousness, uh, it means something like a norm or a standard. Think of a, a ruler, or I think in the Old Testament, it's actually used for weights and measures. But it's not only used for weights and measures, it's actually applied to relationships. There's a sense in which there are things that, are, that you ought to do if you're a parent, or a spouse, or a friend, or in a position of power, or a judge. In other words, there's an oughtness, there's a standard that this king judges by. But notice also it says he judges with equity. And that means that this king judges with fairness. He's not biased. He's just. He, think about sometimes when judgments are made, there's kind of this incomplete understanding of the situation. They don't understand the, the outside influences and how this affects that. But, but this is saying this judge knows all. He understands the weaknesses and where people are. And I want you to notice something here. When Robert Bella said that 80% of Americans think that they can just believe what's right or wrong in essence, notice what's happening here. Psalm 98 is saying there's a king over all, and he judges with a standard, and he's fair. Now, why is that good news? Because that sounds really... Like, well, then what am I going to do? But why is that good news? Well, well let me tell you why. In, 19, in, in the 1930s, W.H. Auden, a Pulitzer Prize-winning poet from Great Britain, he was a man who was a secular humanist. He didn't believe in a judgment day. And he rolled into a movie theater in New York, and he watched a propaganda film in which it showed Jews being rounded up by Germans. And those watching the film began to all cry out, away with them. And Auden left the theater completely shaken. Because he realized if he, if what he believed was true, then everything was an opinion. Then might was right. There were no standards. And there was no hope. 
Don't you understand, Psalm 98 is actually asserting something that, that, although deeply uncomfortable, actually is really good news, that evil and injustice will be dealt with. That's why all the nations are supposed to make a joyful noise. There is a king. But secondly, let's look, let's, let's look back. Look at verses 1 to 3. This is, the psalmist is looking back to something God's done. And listen to what it says. Oh, sing the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. There's a couple things in this passage that are, I want to point out. One is, notice how it says, this God has remembered his steadfast love. One of the things that, honestly, many people struggle with in our day and age is, how can a God of judgment be a God of love? But we see it right here. At the very end of the psalm, right, he's judging. But at the very beginning, it speaks of him being a God of steadfast love. Those are not two separate things. So how can God be a God of judgment and yet a God who has steadfast love? Rebecca McLaughlin writes this. It's it's so helpful. She says, God's love and God's judgment cannot be pulled apart. Think of the anger you feel when you see school children shot, women raped, or people beaten because of the color of their skin. Think of your anger at the slave trade, the Holocaust, and global sex trafficking. When you analyze that anger, its root is love. No one who regards those of other races as subhuman cares about racial exploitation. No one who believes that women or children are property cares about sexual abuse. And the more we love, the more easily our anger is kindled. Imagine that this kid of love motivated anger is so deeply entrenched in the heart of God that your own commitment to justice is like a drop in the ocean. In other words, it's not a lack of love that leads to judgment. It's not a lack of love. It's actually because of love that Jesus comes to judge. Now, having said all that, we need to deal with something here. Um, and maybe it's been in your mind, it's, it's been in my mind throughout the week, right? Um, if everybody's going to be judged, like, how am I going to be on that day? Like, 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 where do I stand in this righteousness, and this standard? How will I do? And in order to understand what the Scriptures say about this, we have to do a bit of digging in Psalm 98. Look, look at the beginning, uh, or excuse me, the second part of verse 1. It has this language that says, His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. Uh, this language is actually almost verbatim from the book of Exodus. In Exodus 15, there is this song that's written after Israel is saved out of Egypt, redeemed, and they're singing this song about God's deliverance. And this is one of the lyrics. And when it says his right hand and his holy arm of words salvation for him, it's, it's the language of, of God being this divine warrior that comes in and rescues. I mean, just think of your latest Marvel movie, you know, and think about someone with great power coming in to save a host of people. In some measure, that's an image of what is happening here. But I want you to think about this for a moment. 
If you go back to the account of Exodus, the final judgment before God's people are rescued out of Egypt is pretty unique. You can look at it later, but, but, but let me call it to this. There, there's a moment where, here's the point, God's going to do one final judgment, and here's what it is. He's going to kill the firstborn of every family in Egypt. He's going to bring judgment. And yet, one of the things that God does, he tells his people to take a lamb and to sacrifice it. And he says, I want you to take the blood of the lamb and I want you to put it over your door. And then here's what's going to happen. When the angel that's going to come and bring judgment sees the blood over your door, that angel will pass over. You will be spared. And sure enough, the next morning, judgment comes, and all over Egypt, families are waking up, realizing their firstborn is gone, except those who had the blood over their door. And you know, one of the points that's often missed right here is this. Who's worse? Egypt or God's people? Who deserves judgment? Egypt or God's people? Who's more righteous? Egypt or God's people? The oppressor or the oppressed? What's the difference? Why are some waking up with life in their home and why are others waking up with death in their home? The only difference is the blood over the door. And do you know what that means? No one is righteous. Everybody deserves judgment. What's remarkable, and this is where it gets really deep and remarkable, is in John's Gospel, years later, John the Baptist looks out and sees Jesus and he says these words in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know what's happening there? John is saying this, the Lamb that was sacrificed in Exodus, that is a foreshadow of the true Lamb to come. The place that any and all can come to to be spared judgment to the death of this lamb, this Jesus on the cross. And let's tie this together for a moment. Because notice, the Apostles' Creed is saying, Jesus is the one coming back to judge the living and the dead. And listen, this is what this means. As one author noted, the one who comes to bring judgment is the one who has already come to bear judgment. Isn't that amazing? The one who, who comes to bring judgment is the one who came to bear judgment. We see justice, that God is just, and love intertwined perfectly. But lastly, we've got to look forward. Listen, the, the, the entire psalm 
the crescendo, you know, verses 7 and 8, it's like, you know, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. It's this remarkable image of the entire creation calling forth in joyful worship to this this king who's going to judge, and it's beckoning us to join. The point of the psalm is get in on this. It's really the question, will you join in? You know, um, let me say a couple places you might be this morning. Um, some of you might be just here just exploring the Christian faith. And um, back in the 90s, uh, it was kind of like the heyday of like Christian t-shirts, you know? Um, I don't know, they're really, I'm, I'm old, I guess. You guys are like, I don't even know what that is. But like, one of my favorite ones was the one that said, and they will know we are Christians by our t-shirts. That was probably the best one. Okay, it took a while, got it, okay. Um, but there was one... There was one that said this, Jesus is coming back, everybody look busy. That was one that was, you know, and, and like many Christian teachers today, it was mixed with half-truths, right? But it captures something that I want to be clear on, that it can be a common misconception. See, when it says, Jesus is coming back, everybody look busy, there's kind of a moment where you, it's kind of like, you know, God's your boss, kind of shows up and he was away, now he's back, surprise, and you're supposed to be doing some work to be busy. But, but notice this, um, to procure favorable judgment is not by trying. It, it's not by working hard. It's not by saying, I'm going to turn a new leaf and try to do what's right now. It's through relying. Uh, let me point you out to one final verse here. There's, um, at the beginning, we, we, we opened up with that verse that was kind of, I mean, right in our grill when it said, it's appointed for us to, to die once and after that to face judgment. But the very next verse, in verse 28, listen to what it says. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting, eagerly waiting for him. Notice that. It, it's, it's reiterating the point that it's up to Jesus. You have to rely on Jesus to bear your sin. It's not trying, it's trusting. It's not performing, it's resting. And don't you see, when Hebrews says that there's some who are, that they're eagerly awaiting him, the only way you can eagerly await the judge is if you can rest in him being judged for you. And that's the good news. So here's my commendation to you. That, that Psalm 98, in order for you to actually join in the song, if you're not a Christian, it means, it means you repent, you turn from your sin, your self-salvation projects, and you rely on this judge who has bore your judgment in your place. Well, lastly, let me just draw out something for Christians today. How about you? Are are you joining in the worship? Are you excited about Jesus coming to judge? Let me, let me give you a couple of reasons why maybe, maybe you're not right now. One is, let me submit to this. Some of you right now are dealing with, with bitterness and anger. Uh, you know, and, and maybe it's because you've been a victim of injustice. 
Maybe it's been a racial slur. Uh, maybe it's been because of the color of your skin. Maybe it's been just because a fallout with a friend or a spouse or someone who's really let you down in life. And, and honestly, you're just filled with bitterness and anger and it's just broiling. One of the great things about Jesus coming back as a judge is it releases you from having to be bitter, from having to languish in your anger because you can rely on him putting things right. It's actually one of the notions of of being the judge. He puts things right. And that doesn't mean that what happened to you is okay. It doesn't mean that, but it means you entrust to him the judgment. And either he bears it for them or he will make sure to judge in righteousness and equity what has happened in your stead. Do you understand how that frees you? How you can actually work through this? This takes, this takes time, this takes prayer, this takes counseling, this takes scripture working in your life. But do you understand the freedom that this can bring in your life? That's why it's such good news. But then lastly, let me say this. Some of you, the reason why you're not worshiping is because you're forgetting the gospel. Listen, I'll just say this as a pastor, like the gospel is not merely the entry point in the Christian life. It is, as one pastor said, the A to Z. It's everything. And we are prone to lead our lives with works righteousness where we believe it's up to us. Do we have a good week or a bad week? How are we this week? And we rest on that performance and therefore we don't rejoice. But don't you understand what Psalm 98 is suggesting and it's calling us to? It's calling us to worship. The Heidelberg Catechism draws it out this way. The question is this, what comfort is there that Christ shall come to judge? That the one who comes to judge is the very same person who previously came to be judged for my sake and has removed all curse from me. You know, ultimately, the reason why, the reason why Psalm 98 is such good news, it all comes down to who the judge is. It all comes down to who he is. That he is the king. That he is righteous. And yet he's the one who's actually come to bear judgment. And he will bring judgment. He will put all things right. You know, um, Isaac Watts wrote his song that we sing every Christmas because of Psalm 98. Do you remember it? Joy to the world. The opening line is simply this. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. If you've received this king... Let us make a joyful noise. He is worthy of it. This is, this is good news. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you that you sent your son to bear judgment. And Jesus, we thank you that you obeyed. And we thank you that you are coming again to put all things right. And so as we think about living in the in-between of that, when we're not all right, and the relationships around us are not all right, and the world around us is not all right, we pray you would give us grace 
and strength to rejoice. To come before you in joyful worship because of this news. And we ask this in your name. Amen.